you know, I had this cheer trying to get somebody to make some noise. It's sad. Sick me, really. Somehow they coached me into doing this. On the run out, George oh. Well, comes out of nowhere and swipes it away against the window. I need to switch companies if Polly was employee of the year. There was a vote between his mother and father, and it was a split decision. <laughs> and now they're having fun. See Buddy do it up. Oh, okay, okay, buddy. Quincy's his mom first. To the rim for Curry. I saw some split things on the ground. I said, yo, is that a suit? Suit is right back the other way. Dolajai in transition, lays it in, gets the friendly roll. Gerard, a deep three, got it. Fans might want to get used to seeing that. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte. Good afternoon, everyone. Glad to have you with us. Stephen Fonte, Paulie Sibilia with you up until 2 o'clock on a Monday edition of Orange Nation, another game day edition of the show. Jam-packed show. we got a lot to get to. We're going to speak with Duke's play-by-play man, David Shoemate, coming up here in just a few moments. We've got Eric Devendorf set to join us at 1230, as he does every Monday throughout the college basketball season. And then our good friend Rick Beardsley will be on with us at 130. Uh, a, a huge upset inside the dome yesterday. SU Lacrosse got off to a great start, uh, and then the final three quarters dominated by Army. So we'll talk some lacrosse on the back end of the show, but the first end of the show, all about basketball. We want to hear from you at 315-437-7644. Paulie, you should have stuck with your prediction. You said Wednesday Buddy was going to go off. You predicted a career high, and then heading into the Notre Dame game, you changed it, and you said it was going to be Alan Griffin who was going to go off, but uh, it was indeed Buddy, and they needed every bit of it. Yeah, Alan Griffin barely even played in the second half <laughs> of of that game. So, yeah, uh, Buddy looked great, and uh, hopefully he can uh, do the same thing against Duke. You know, uh, Believe it or not, Duke isn't, uh, is beatable this year, which is, is rare to say, but... Uh, I was completely wrong. Season, season saving win uh, for Syracuse over the weekend. You say Duke is beatable. Uh, Duke is also playing its best basketball yes. of the season right now. As we're pleased to be joined by uh, the play by play man of the Duke Blue Devils, David Shoemate, joins us now as we start the show. David, uh, thanks so much for coming on. Let's let's start with what we saw over the weekend. That big win over Virginia. Uh, where did that come from? And uh, you know, is is this team in fact playing its best basketball of the season? No, I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, well, I don't think it came out of nowhere because I think you kind of saw glimpses of that in games against NC State and, and Wake Forest ahead of that. And really, you know, I'm at, at practice quite a bit and, and get to be around the team, and you've seen it building, but it certainly went to another level, and that was the question mark, right? Impressive wins on the road at NC State and Wake Forest, but Virginia's a different level of competition, came in um, with the best record in the ACC, and it's been a commitment to defense. I mean, you look at... Duke has had two different three-game losing streaks in ACC play, and in the second one, um, they gave up back-to-back games of 90 points on their home floor and losses to North Carolina and Notre Dame. I think people were wondering, you know, could this Duke team ever play good defense? Um, And then they started to lock it down around the perimeter, made a commitment to get out and and put some of that ball pressure on that kind of became what Duke was known for, particularly when Trey Jones was here and other guys over the years. So I think it's been – getting things done on the defensive end of the floor, and that's allowed them to, to get out and, and run a little bit. They actually had some fast break points against Virginia. So it, it all starts on defense with this team, and, and that's opened some things up on the offensive end. And obviously Matthew Hurt's been unbelievable. 
Yeah, let's let's go there with Matthew. I was going to get into him a little bit later on in this interview, but since you brought him up, um, you know, he is he's arguably the the ACC player of the year. I mean, he's certainly in the mix with what he's been able to do, his size, his you know, his, his ability to be able to hit the outside shot, averaging 18 and a half points per game. Uh, we knew he was good. Uh, he's taken it to a whole nother level this year. I mean, can you um it, it, could you compare him to another player that you've seen come through that Duke program with with his skill set? Well, I mean, I think some of the comparisons that you hear most often, and and you kind of get in trouble talking about this, but um, you you think about, and I'm not saying he's on this level, but stylistically, it, it's similar times to Larry Bird and Dirk Nowitzki, um, just with the high release point. Obviously, with, with his size of being six nine, he can get his shot off for, from basically anywhere he wants to. Uh, had five threes in the game against Virginia, and at times Hauser was defending him. Virginia's. Uh, best score had a hand in his face, but because of that high release point, he can just get it off. He also has that fadeaway game inside. Um, he's mixed some other things into his post game, but you know, over the last three games, he's shooting better than seventy percent from three. I mean, those and this isn't a guy that that's not one three a game. You know what I mean? It's it's a bunch of threes um, that have been added in there, and, and he just has been able to stretch the floor. I think one thing they've done that's helped um, quite a bit is you know, at times when Duke has gone small this year, he's been at the five. Um, and even now of late when they've gone small, he's gone at the four, even when they bring in a guy like Jamin Brakefield that they did um, on Saturday night when Mark Williams, the seven-footer, it sometimes plays the five is out. Um, but Brakefield played a lot of the game, but he still played at the five, and that allows her to space the floor, play out on the perimeter a little bit more, um, and get those looks. But uh, those are the two guys I would think, but just because of the high release point and how quickly um, he can get his shot off now, at times, you can have a defender right in his face, and he can see over and shoot over. Just a very unique player. Yeah, I had a chance to watch that entire second half over the weekend against Virginia. So many big shots uh, by both teams, and, and especially Matthew Hurd, just big shot after big shot down the stretch of that game. Uh, what led to that victory uh, against Virginia? Was it on the defensive end? Because, again, offensively, um, you know, we know that Matthew Hurd led the way with 22 points. Is, is that the difference in these close games, David, the fact that, that this team can, you know, has shown in the last three games it can defend a little bit better now? I think that's that. And then also the fact that uh, the turnovers were down. I mean, just 10 turnovers in the game. You don't expect a ton of turnovers when you play Virginia because the pace that they play at. Um, so that certainly is a piece of it. But um, you mentioned the shooting. I mean, in a game where Duke ends up shooting 56% from the field, you know, 58% from three uh, in the first half, and, and then for the game, 51% overall and, and 39% from distance, you have to hit shots against Virginia because there's just not going to be that many possessions. So I don't want to undersell the efficiency on the offensive end. I think that was awfully important. But, you know, Virginia didn't have a field goal for the final 348. Uh, Duke took the lead for good with just under three minutes to play. And when you think, and you said you watched the second half, you correct me if I'm wrong, in those final three minutes, Virginia didn't get a good look. I think that was most impressive. Right. Yes, they didn't score, but it wasn't like they missed a bunny or a wide-open three. There was a contest on everything. You know, there was a scramble with about 15 seconds to go, a loose ball on the floor, seeing everybody get onto the floor to go after the basketball. I mean, I think that intensity is what this Duke team is looking for because, you know, it's it's not a – and they'd be the first to say it. Historically, you know, when you think of the Zion Williamsons and the R.J. Barrett's and the Cam Reddishes, it's, it's not a Duke, Duke team like that that's going to overwhelm you with their talent, um, but they can overwhelm you with their grit, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Duke Director of Broadcasting and Play-by-Play Announcer David Shumate joining us here on, on Orange Nation as we get you set for Syracuse and, and Duke tonight. Um, all right, I do have to ask you about Jalen Johnson. Um, and, it, you know, it, obviously Coach Behan made uh, national headlines late last week when on his radio show he said that this is a better team without Jalen Johnson. Uh, let's let's start with how the comments were received down there, David, you know, inside that program based on the people you've talked to. Yeah, I mean, I th- and, you know, <laughs> it probably won't surprise you, but uh, it hasn't really come up a lot uh, in and amongst the program because they're kind of locked into what they're doing right now. Um, I mean, I, I get that it's been a, a piece of the conversation nationally. And, I mean, I think when you look at the film and, and you see that Duke has won three in a row and the change that happens um, defensively, it's easy to point and say Duke has been playing better their last three games. I don't think there's any questions uh, um, that that is the case. I think – you know, drawing a straight line to Jalen Johnson, you know, I'm in it day in and day out and, and see what's going on. I actually think he was a part of that progression. The timing of his leaving or choosing to opt out to go get ready for the NBA um, may make it look like one has to do with the other, but I don't necessarily know if that's the case. I think this team was starting to turn a corner, at least in the practices that I was at, where Jalen was a part of it. Um, and he just had to make a decision that was good for him. But it's not something they're talking about a lot. They did talk a lot about, uh, you know, Jalen's decision and, and, you know, their support of that amongst the players. I mean, you guys heard Matthew Hurd after the game and, and DJ Stewart after the game against Wake Forest when they said he was their guy. They, they understand he's got to make those decisions. And, you know, we're in a different day and time. I mean, player empowerment is, is something that I think everyone is behind right now and trying to get NIL figured out. We're playing basketball in a pandemic. So I think, you know, we've got to take a step back, at least from my perspective, um, and support these kids uh, in the decisions that they make. And, and it can't just be on one issue or the other, if that makes sense. Either you support them or you don't. Right. Yeah, and, and reaction has been split around the country, right? Some will take the side of Jalen Johnson and say it's a business and he's not getting paid in college and, and he's got to protect himself. And then others will say, if you start the season on a team, you finish the season on a team and that, that he's quitting on them. But what you're saying is inside that locker room, they don't feel like they were quit on. They they feel like they're supporting their teammate right now? No, no question. And then, you know, he's still a part of this team. I mean, yes, he's had to make a decision. He's been dealing with some health, which – I know it doesn't really get talked about because he had come back and playing, but he's been dealing with a foot injury a little bit, and, and those things can be fickle. And I think everyone in that room, you know, those guys in the locker room have NBA aspirations as well. So they certainly understand doing what you need to uh, to make sure you're in the best position to do what you need to to get to the next level. Um, so I, I think everyone totally gets where he's coming from with that decision. And, and for me, and like I said, I'm going to practice quite a bit and around the team. It, it's kind of a non-issue in that locker room. All right, I had a chance to speak with SU assistant coach Jerry McNamara towards the end of last week and asked him about Duke. And one of the names that came up in our interview was was Mark Williams, uh, a guy that wasn't playing a whole heck of a lot at the beginning of the season, has got more time of late, didn't play a lot against Virginia, but prior to that, uh, you know, 19 minutes against Wake, 28 minutes against NC State, he had been playing more, scoring more, making more of an impact. What can you tell us about Mark Williams and, and what does his size bring to the table for this team? Well, you mentioned his size, a seven-footer, 230 pounds. And I feel like over the last month, um, for a young guy, he started to realize how big he truly is. Sometimes you see post players with that size, and, and you guys have a ton of good posts, um, our Syracuse program does. When they first start out, when they're young, I don't think they really play to their full potential with their size. They almost play smaller than they actually are. And I think for Mark Williams, he's learned how to play to his true size, particularly at the collegiate level, 
uh, and learning what the officiating is like and, and learning how to use your body without committing fouls. I think early on in the season, he'd get a quick foul or two or not quite know, you know how the game was played and, and what contact was going to be allowed and what's not allowed. So he just looks so much more comfortable when he's out there playing. The shot blocking obviously has popped of late, now 22 on the season, and, and most of those 15 or 16 have been over the last six games or so. Um, he's turned into quite the rim protector, and that allows Duke to do things differently defensively. We talked about um, the turnaround defending the three. Well, a lot of that has to do with the fact when you have a seven-footer that you feel comfortable is going to help you uh, on defense, it's a little bit easier to get out on somebody, on a shooter, uh, to contest because you don't have to worry so much about getting beat and there's going to be no one there to protect the rim. So he impacts in a lot of different ways and, and changes how teams have to defend Duke as well because now you have to truly respect what's going on in the post. Talking about defending Duke, you know that you're going to see 40 minutes of zone tonight from Syracuse. And, and one of the ways that you can attack the zone, I don't need to tell you this, but to have somebody in the high post and kind of pick it apart from from the inside out. Uh, who would be that guy for Duke to, to put in the high post and you know be a threat to knock down the 15-footer and, and also set up his teammates from three-point range? I mean, Wendell Moore Jr. has been on a tear of late well, with his assist game, setting a career high in assists in two of the last three games, including on Saturday night when he had seven. Uh, obviously, the sophomore can score the basketball, but he's a really good creator and doesn't have to do it as the point guard, if that makes sense. So that would be a guy um, that I think could, could get in there and do some things. Hurt can obviously hit a mid-range jumper, um, and Williams has shown the ability to knock down from 12 to 15 feet. But Wendell Moore Jr., to me, at least from my perspective, would, would be a guy with his experience and, and having played in the game a year ago um, against Syracuse and, and knowing what that zone looks like would be a guy that I think could have an opportunity uh, to get in there and create some opportunities for others. From a Syracuse perspective, the rebounding numbers have been so crucial this year. Syracuse uh, 12-0 and this year when they win the rebounding battle, and it hasn't gone well when they haven't won the rebounding battle. Uh, and also they need to make threes in order to win. Um, and we saw that on Saturday when Syracuse came back from 20 down to beat Notre Dame. Uh, from a Duke perspective, I know Duke rebounds the ball well. They shoot the ball pretty well, too, 36% from three. Uh, what are the keys heading into this game tonight for the Blue Devils? Well, I mean, you touched on one of them, but getting out on shooters, I mean, Buddy Bayheim, I watched the second half before coming over for the Duke-Virginia game, was just unbelievable. I mean, the, the second half tear that he was on with the 20 points, hitting the six threes, and, and it feels like a team, um, at least a little bit I've watched, when they find their rhythm, it, it's almost impossible to stop because they're, they're such lethal shooters. So I think that's one thing, getting out and contesting to, to make sure um, that Syracuse doesn't get super comfortable and get into a rhythm from deep. But um, the other thing, and, and I was actually talking with Coach K about this, getting ready for the game about you know, the zone sometimes can make you think things are easier on the offensive end than they are in terms of passing the ball around, and, and you can get a little complacent at times. Um, so I think taking care of the basketball is actually important. I mean, we know what Syracuse has done with the steals, um, 9.2 a game to, to lead the ACC. Duke has done a good job of taking care of the basketball of late, but at times this year that's been a problem. So I think not getting complacent um, with your passes, being strong with those, because what you can't do against Syracuse is let them get out and run, and, and then you end up in a position like Notre Dame was, where you look up and what was it, 40 to 18, the, the run in the second half, yeah. and a 20 point lead is gone. So I think taking care of the basketball may be the most important thing tonight for Duke. All right, it's a, it's a big one. Both these teams need it. Both teams uh, sitting on the bubble, Syracuse and Duke, 7 o'clock tip down at uh, Cameron Indoor Stadium in Durham. David, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much for coming on, and hopefully we can uh, do it again down the road. No, appreciate it. Have a good one.
All right, you as well. There he is, David Shoemate, play-by-play man for the Duke Blue Devils. And with that, we'll take our first time out. Phone lines open uh, for the next 15 minutes until we bring on Eric Devendorf, and then we'll get your phone calls in uh, from about 12.45 until 1.30. Talking a lot of Cuse basketball on the show. Big win over the weekend for the Orange. Another big one tonight against the Duke Blue Devils. We're back after this on ESPN Radio. On Twitch, Q Sports Talk and ESPN Radio 97.7 at 100.1. My buddy, my buddy, my buddy, wherever I go, he goes. My buddy, my buddy, my buddy, I'll teach him everything that I know. My buddy and me, like the climb of a tree. My buddy and me, where the Stephen Fonte, Pauly Sibilia back with you on a Monday edition of Orange Nation. And, uh, yeah, uh, Buddy Beheim's season-saving performance on Saturday as he scores 29 points, new career high, uh, helps bring Syracuse back from the dead in that game. They, they were dead and buried, down oh. 20 with 16 and a half to go, and they fought back. Uh, they win it by 8, 75-67 over Notre Dame, and, Again, they keep themselves in the uh, the NCAA tournament bubble talk for the time being. At halftime, I tweeted out that if anybody talks about the bubble on Monday, uh, I'm hanging up and I'm walking out. And they came back in one, so I looked they did. stupid once again. So it, it's uh, it was impressive. I mean, there was a point where they they ended up winning by eight, but Coach Saddle and looked at me and goes, "They could win by twelve. It looks like yeah. you know." They, they were doing what they wanted in the second half. They did. They went on that twenty-three to two run. Um, it all started when they when they went to the press, right? Joe and and Alan Griffin came out. They put in Kadari and Robert Braswell. They put on the press, and Notre Dame got all sorts of discombobulated. I mean, Notre Dame didn't look like they had ever seen a press before. They got sped up. Exactly what you know the press is designed to do to speed you up. Not just force you into turnovers, which it did. Notre Dame turned it over a few times, but also just sped them up on the offensive end. They weren't getting good looks. Syracuse defended better. They were rebounding better. That's another thing, Paulie. You look at the rebounding numbers in that second half. Uh, after losing the rebounding battle in the first half, Syracuse out-rebounded Notre Dame 22-11 to after halftime. Um, and it, they needed a lot to go right, and a lot did go right, obviously, as they, they went on that 23-2 run and uh, – you know, turn the tables in in an instant. It 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 happened rather quickly. I mean, they erased a twenty point deficit uh, rather quickly. Yeah, uh, Coach Beheim said something interesting post game, and it was very noticeable too. He said that the press didn't just speed up Notre Dame; it sped up Syracuse. It it made them better on defense. Um, and Coach can say that. You know, everybody after the Clemson loss was it looked like they were playing with a lack of effort. This team has two. Two different speeds. And if they're not playing, when they're playing at their top speed, I should say, they're as good as anybody, you know? They can beat anybody in the ACC when they're playing hard and fast. And when they're not, they look terrible, you know? And they look terrible in the first half of that game, you know? Yes. And and you could tell they were not playing at, at the speed and with the energy they needed to to win a basketball game. You just used the word energy, um, and I know you were, you know, part of the radio broadcast again. And and Jim Beheim used that word at halftime, right? He said something along the lines of, "We didn't have enough energy, especially on the defensive end of the court." And I I don't know how that happens because it's it's something right. that has come up time and time again with this team. We just talked about it with the Clemson game that there's a difference between wanting to win and 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 putting 
putting in the work to win and doing the things you need to do to win. And they did not do that against Clemson, and they did not do that in the first half against Notre Dame. And I'm not quite sure why or how that happens in a game that is so important, how you come out lacking energy. But they did. Notre Dame had energy. Syracuse did not. Um, And Jim Boeheim said that at halftime. And then, obviously, they did have energy in the second half. They went to the press, and it sped up Notre Dame. It sped up Syracuse in a good way. They started playing with more energy on both ends of the floor. Shots started to fall. It got... It was almost like it was contagious, right? You hear that, Paulie, in games that somebody makes a shot and it's contagious. And, you know, Buddy got hot and it was contagious. And then we saw, you know, Quincy hit the big three to put him ahead. I thought Robert Braswell did some really good things, even though, you know, they don't necessarily show up in the box score, but the charge that he drew, um, he altered a shot that turned into a miss. Um, He ended up, he didn't get credit for the steal, but the ball got knocked away and he was the first guy to as a 50-50 ball and he was able to get there. Um, I thought Robert Braswell did some really good things in the comeback. Kadari, of course, on both ends defensively, you know, getting his hand on passes, setting up his teammates on the offensive end. Um, as I said, they needed a lot to go right, and a lot did go right in that comeback. But it, it was it was about more than just Buddy. He obviously led the way. But they, they got contributions from everyone on the court during that comeback. Yeah, Marek was great. Quincy was great in the second half. Still struggling around the rim. Still my favorite player on this team, though. So I'm hoping he can get that strained out. And Coach Beheim said another thing about Kadari, and I was there for this game. He was sucking wind. Like, he was exhausted in the second half. And uh, he, I, I know I say it all the time that they're kids. He looked like he was on his last bit of gas as that game was ending. So uh, hopefully you're not in a situation where you need him for 40 minutes at this point. Yeah, and th- that's why you're not going to see the press on a regular right. basis. I know people say, well, they, they looked great in the press. The press is there um, as a as a desperation-type move, as a last-ditch type effort. Um, you know, it's not something that they're going to rely on. I don't think you're going to see it. You know, maybe you see it sprinkled in in the first half it, it, to, to shake something up. Like, if they're, if they're in a little bit of a danger zone, you know, let's say, for instance, tonight they're down, you know, 10 or 12, and it feels like it's getting away. Maybe they put on the press for a possession or two in the first half to try to, you know, change up the momentum a little bit. But that's not something they're going to rely on. I mean, they go to the press as a last-ditch effort, and it happened to work. But, you know, the, the drawback to the press is that it takes a lot of energy out of you. Um, and, you know, we'll see how that affects them moving forward. Um, but they they needed every bit of it uh, on Saturday to to erase that twenty point deficit and to come out on top. All right, let's take a time out here. We've got Eric Devendorf set to join us on the other side, and then after that, phone lines will be open at three one five four three seven seventy six forty four. Back after this on ESPN Radio on Twitch Q Sports Talk and ESPN Radio ninety seven point seven at one hundred point one. This is Orange Nation. All right, Stephen Pauly back with you for another couple of minutes here on a Monday edition of Orange Nation. Uh, let's go back to the phone lines and finish with uh, some thoughts on this game tonight between Syracuse and Duke. We've got Tom and Syracuse closing out the show today. Hey, Tom. Hey, appreciate putting me in, guys. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, of course. What do you got? Uh, every day is an opportunity. We have a golden opportunity tonight to make a very impressive win on the road. Unfortunately, we have a Bayheim problem in that he probably won't do anything I say, and that's all right. He's the head coach. But what I say is, the tall guards at the top, you might almost have to go with the, with, uh, the Gilbert kid a little bit earlier. And um, 
as far as the center position is concerned, uh, I'd like to give his dolage some help on there, but he probably won't do it. What's interesting to note is the Andrew, um, the Gibbard kid, didn't play during the comeback, and he's the most athletic player on the one of the most athletic kids we've ever had. And to make that comeback without him in the game suffice the fact that Prasad can get in there, and where has he been? Because he doesn't fit in, in band plan until the last game. And I don't know, just a thousand things you can do in this game tonight, and I don't think he'll do any of them, but that's, that's all right. Well, we shall see, Tom. Uh, we shall see how this thing plays out. I, I do know in regards to Robert Braswell, Paulie, that the coaches love the way he's been practicing of late. They, they've been wanting to find ways to get him into games. Obviously, to get him in, that means that either, you know, Quincy's sitting or Alan Griffin's sitting. And, you know, Griffin wasn't playing great on Saturday. They mixed it up. They put Braswell in. They started the press. Braswell did some good things. They kept him on the floor. And, you know, things snowballed from there. Um, you know, so I, I would imagine we're going to see Robert Braswell tonight in some capacity. I know that they, they love the way he's played of late. Um, but in order to beat Duke at Duke, you know, they're going to need Alan Griffin to contribute. I mean, they, I think that was the exception and not the rule on Saturday. I mean, you know, Griffin didn't play well in order to win a big game. They, they need their five starters to play well. And Griffin's obviously a piece of the puzzle, no doubt. Right, and I think Braswell's gotten to the point now where he is an option even if it's not a situation where someone's got to come out of a game. Where, you know, it may shorten the leash on a Griffin or a Quincy where, you know, I know someone in this uh, city doesn't like the term shorten the leash, but, uh, you know, it it, it gives him an option. He's on the road today, Paulie. It's okay. He's not in town <laughs> today, so it's okay. We've got the internet, Steve. He's listening. Uh, That's true. But, That's uh, true. <laughs> but, you know, it... It gives him an option, you know. You know there were there were points. He is an option, yeah. There were points this year where he was not used. So uh, yeah, I think no, this he, is a really important game tonight. Obviously, for for a lot of reasons. Uh, give me your prediction before we go. Syracuse uh, wins by three. All right. I don't love this matchup tonight for Syracuse. I, I'm my leaning buddy, tonight. My buddy, my buddy. He's gonna go off again. Yeah, another yeah. career high? No. You're not quite going that far 18 yet. tonight for Buddy. All right. Both teams need this one. It's awfully important. 7 o'clock tip tonight at Cameron Indoor Stadium in Durham. We're out of time for Paulie. I'm Steve. Oh, Steve, before be we wrap. the post-game show. Yeah, go ahead. Don't Get forget the there's, a, party. Yeah, there's a watch party tonight. Danny Shays will be on. Def Jeff from Syracuse.com will be reading lips of uh, the players and coaches. And you can follow him in the chat, and he'll uh, chime in every once in a while with uh, – with what's going on, so it'll be fun. And then I've got the uh, I've got the post game show right here on ESPN Radio and on Twitch Q Sports Talk on Twitch, uh, starting right after the final horn with Demetrius Nichols. We're out of time. We'll talk to you again at noon tomorrow.